51, John 6, 51. And then the last point, point seven, it is as simple as believing God. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 6, 47. Seven points to the simplicity of salvation. We try to complicate it with things like uh, repentance, we try to complicate it with how you're called, whether you respond, all kinds of things. It's as simple as those seven points. Call on the Lord, ye shall be saved. He promises that. Your sincerity comes into play with repentance, and your sincerity all, all comes into play when it's in Romans like 10, 9, where it talks about believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's up to you what you want to make salvation out to be. If you want it a fire escape or if you want it a new life. It's how much you submit and commit yourself to God is how successful salvation will have free reign in your life. God's word will, will help and empower you to accomplish many a great things in your life. But to get started, it's as simple as accept, believe, and confess, A, B, C. We'll go through that some other time. Let's go to the book of John, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And we've seen up there in point four where we left off, it is as simple as receiving a gift for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 6, 23. If you want a verse out of John, you go to John 3, 16. We're going to be in John chapter 4 the woman at the well, but John 3, 16 is where Nicodemus came before Christ and accepted Christ as his personal Savior. How can you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus gave him the gospel. In 3, 16, he's still talking to Nicodemus, and he says, For God so loved the world, that's his heavenly Father, that's our heavenly Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That words whosoever, whosoever could be Brother Rick. It could be Brother Jim. It could be Brother Marvin. It could be Brother Roy. That's the word you put in there for whosoever, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, that if you believe that gift was given to you, how hard is it to receive a gift? You have to acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge it. You have to admit it. You have to take it. And you receive that gift of salvation. You're going somewhere. So we'll stay in the book of John and we'll look at the next point. It says, it is as simple as drinking water. Jesus said, whosoever drinketh of this water shall I give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of living water springing up unto salvation. John chapter 4 is called the Samaritan woman. You see in John chapter 3 where we touched on, you see Nicodemus. He was a high priest. He was holy of holy. He knew all the foreign languages. He knew the Torah. He had, a, he had the Bible that was available to him at the time memorized. You could say, what's it say in Isaiah maybe chapter 6? And he, he, it was his obligation to be able to quote you word for word, what that was. And he was an authority of God's word. He was a man that was recognized by the community as sinless, 
practically. And if he did commit sin, he was expected to trot up there to the altar and have the sacrifice designated and cleansed and taken care of well before you ever met him on Sunday or there, their Sabbath, and he would take care of that. On the other hand, we're in John chapter 4 now, and Jesus Christ made it a point to tell Nicodemus, and now he's talking to who? A Gentile, a half-breed, so to speak, a, a Jew. And he made it a point to talk to a woman, and we see here that she's had five husbands. It was a polite way of saying she was a woman of ill repute. She had low moral character. She was looked down on by everybody in the community. She wasn't even considered a person that would be qualified to come into the Hebrew temple to any degree. But yet Jesus Christ reached out to her with that same gift, with that same message, with that same salvation, and he applied it to her. Now, which one do you identify with today? I don't know, but I have no trouble identifying with the woman at the well, although I don't have a gender identity crisis. <laughs> but that's I identify with the woman at the well. My ancestry goes to Greek. Nothing to brag about there. I don't have any claims to the throne of God by any other means but by the means of the gift that was given to me for eternal life. Let's take a look at that. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made the, and baptized more disciples than John through Jesus himself, baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Wasn't a place to go through. Now I told you I was going to quote something. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Nicodemus came to Christ wanting to know what made it necessary, how he could get to heaven. And Jesus Christ says, you've got to be born again. You've got to start all over. Can I enter a second time into my mother's room? There was nothing he wasn't going to try. He says, you've given me an impossible mission. He says, yeah, if you look at it in a physical terms. You look at God spiritually because he's a spirit. He, he lowered himself to come down to our level of thinking. Our ways are not his ways, and his ways are not our ways. And so we have church services so that you can gather together and we can come together and learn a little bit more about his ways. Unless you've got an owl sitting out there on a perch somewhere that's going to tell you how to interpret God's word, the best place to get it done is in a multitude of counsel. There's wisdom, my Bible says, and that takes place in church. Salvation is as simple as receiving a gift. The Samaritan woman didn't know of that gift, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being worried, wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Now there's a little bit something significant about the sixth hour. That's later on in the day. The 
women traditionally come to draw water. That was a woman's job culturally. And they did it in the morning. They went and drawed water so their hubbies or their kids could clean up a little bit and they'd have stuff to cook with and refreshment to be served in the household. She came later in the day. Why? Because she loved darkness rather than light. This town here, you can go down this street at 7 o'clock in the morning and you'll know who loves darkness more than light. Mrs. Ensley. <laughs> I tell you, your house was lit up more while you were gone than when you were there. <laughs> I says, look, the ceiling fan's even on in that place. I says, somebody turned it on and left the ceiling fan on. It's just an inside, just an inside comment. Uh, we missed you and we're glad you're back and that you're turning the lights on now. But there's an indication of this woman's position in society is what I'm saying here. And she was by no means a spiritual giant. For the disciples said, There cometh a woman to draw water. For the disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him. That would be Jesus Christ. First place, there's, two, there's a norm violated here. The woman didn't have a position to talk to Jesus Christ. Uh, it's in society, in society. But Jesus Christ, you know, he's, he's on a spiritual level here. He has no problem with anyone coming to him. In fact, you don't see him questioning this woman of why she came to him as he did Nicodemus and says, why do you come to me at night? You're such a holy guy. Why are you sneaking around in the dark? And he had a lot to lose with that uh, encounter. And I hope he did. He lost his salvation, or his he lost his he lost his sin, and he got found again by Jesus Christ and received that gift. And why I want to jump there just for another second, finish up that line of thought. One of the reasons I know he's saved is you see Nicodemus mentioned three more times in Scripture, and he defends Christ. He uh, actually was there when Christ was taken down from the cross. He left his job and his profession to touch a dead corpse. There is no way he could retain his authority as high priest once he's made the, a sacrifice of taking Christ down, his body down from the cross. A man who is lost and looking for uh, trying to reju renew his own faith in, in his works is not going to be doing that for Jesus Christ without knowing Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. That illustration I gave you last week about uh, sulfur water, that was at Living Waters Bible Camp in Alexandria, Minnesota. And uh, living water meant a little bit to me when I heard that. I go, oh, sounds kind of spiritual. What's this living water? The woman saith unto him, Thou art nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence thou hast, thou hast... Where to, wh whence then hast thou that living water? 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob? He was the one who dug the well, which gave us the well to drink, therefore himself himself and his children and for his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. He says, Get all, you're just about, we're all just human. We all just walk around here like worms in the dirt. Do you really realize that? Martin, Lu- uh, Martin Luther realized that. He says, I'm but a worm. We crawl around here in the dirt, and we push it into piles, and we make little castles, and we, we do. But we're nothing more than worms in the dirt when it comes down to it. Nothing we make, as we looked at in Sunday school this morning, we can take with us. There's no U-Hauls behind any of the purses in this country. Believe me, we've driven one. The church van doesn't hold that much. (laughs) Oh, I see that. When we go down the road in that church van, we get two results. We get people that look for their kids, and they get people that go back in and check on the old van. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, or oh, excuse me, the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband. See, he was, he was violating some real norms here by taking his time out to talk to somebody. Somebody asked me not too long ago, Why do you people go clear to... Africa and the Arctic Circle to tell people about Jesus Christ when there's people right here on this island. Well, you know, it's a little bit easier to go where they're they're thirsty. It's just a little easier to go where they're thirsty. But we're commanded by God all, and that's the reason we go to all people. We start here. As we started just not too long ago, there's some people in the congregation right now that just got handed to John and Romans this morning. When we started, when I started my ministry here working with us, you people, being us, <laughs> the first thing I wanted to do was get a John and Romans to everybody I could on this island. And it's the last thing I intend to do on this island is get God's word out to everybody. The radio program's about getting God's word out to people here and people that pass by and people that pass through. That's what Jesus was doing. He was giving the word to any and all. There were no qualifications. A gift is free to all. And so the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. She's ready to start splitting spiritual hairs now. You start getting into uh, religion rather than faith, and it's just like the Jehovah Witness asking me, you know, why do you do this, and why do you observe holidays, and such and such and such. I don't, I'm not concerned with that. I'm really not. And God's not really all that concerned with it. What he's concerned with is knowing why his son came to this planet and died for each one of us. And that's what he's concerned with. He's concerned with your eternal destiny, not your earthly experiences. We come to God not by our experiences, but by faith. There is nothing you can do to prepare yourself. That priest studied for years and years in chapter 3 and applied himself and sacrificed and kept himself to present himself to God 
in our form of religion, and God had mercy on his soul and took him anyway and gave him the gift of eternal life. This woman, on the other hand, hadn't prepared herself, but she was just as qualified as that man because she was willing to think about the things to come. I read today, this week about a gentleman, a professor at a university who had a student that was a law student, and he asked the law student, what are you going to do when you get done here at the university? Oh, I'm going to go off to California, and I'm going to start a work there in California, a law office there in California. And then he said, and then what? And then I'm going to find me a girl, and I'm going to get married. And then what? Well, then we're going to have a family, and we're going to settle down and have, uh, you know, we're going to enjoy the prosperity that only California and my law office can provide. And he said, he said, uh, he said, then what? And the young man says, well, then we're going to be successful and get our kids into college, and they're going to, and he said, then what? And the guy started to run out of then what's. He says, I suppose I'll die. Well, then and then what? And you see, that's where Nicodemus was and this woman was. And that's where I'd like to take you to this morning is, and then what? You, I got people before me with all kinds of plans, all kinds of aspirations. And we need to take some time and think about, and then what? God will be in charge of what happens to you at the last. And he's laid out in his word what he'll do. It's going to be no surprise to anybody who reads it. No surprise to anybody who spends any time thinking about it. And so, and then what is what he's taken this woman to? He's not going to talk to her about Mount Horeb or Mark Carmel or any of the other mountains. And he's going to say, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when... Ye shall neither in this mountain yet in Jerusalem worship the Father. And then what? He worshiped, ye worshiped, ye know not what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh now, the hour cometh, and now is, and now is, and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such, such that worship him. God wants somebody who loves him. He gets lonely. We're created in his image and his likeness. You not only carry the attributes of God, I have no problem. You want to tell me, I have no problem telling you what God looks like. He's got two eyes. He's got two ears. He's got two arms. He's got two legs. He's got a seat that he sits on the throne with. He, you're created in his image. And I have no trouble explaining to you what God feels because you're created in his likeness. You're like God. He, had, he feels jealousy. Check it out in Scripture. He feels anger. He feels loneliness. He feels happiness. He feels everything. He's given you just a little taste of. And he is lonely. He wants to spend eternity with somebody besides a bunch of angels that are fluttering around. Although I wish I had a few companions like that. But he's chose to humble himself so that you could have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. 
whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're super prepared or not prepared, he's there for you and each one of you can reach to him. And he'll offer it to you. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you're waiting for a jerk on the line, you're not worshiping God in spirit. Wow, did you catch that? I just get hung up on the biggest thing I see in Alaska, and us independent people, and us self-strong, self-willed people. We think we can go out and I didn't say salvation was as easy as falling off a log, but we think we can go out in the woods and sit down on a log and worship God. Eh, to a little degree, you can. But in truth, you can't. Want to challenge me? We can go through a pile of Scripture. But he's telling this woman, there's certain procedures you have to go through to be right with God. And one of them's claiming that union between you and him. One of them is submitting yourself and making that appointment with him on a regular basis. Oh, this isn't a message about church attendance. It's a message about spiritually meeting with God. Spiritually meeting with God. You're out there on that fishing boat, and you're waiting for a jerk. On You know what my definition of fishing is? I've seen it somewhere. One jerk waiting on the end of the line for another jerk. And Brother Rick can tell you I'm as big a jerk as the next guy when it comes to waiting for that jerk. I, I enjoy fishing, but I'm not going to pretend it gets me closer to God. I can think about God, admire some of the things of God, and it does draw me somewhat closer. But it's not a real spiritual union with God. You're not going to do that outside of God's word, outside of the framework of God's word there. But he'll, he'll meet with you in the woods. Don't worry. He'll tell you to go to church. <laughs> the woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he come, he will tell us all things, Jesus said unto her. And you hear that. This is about like our news media today. You hear him lie to your face. And you hear him talk about Jesus, the, the, the Hebrew scholars of the day said he never, he won't admit straight up that he's the Savior of the world. And right here he says, I that speak unto thee am he. I am the Christ. And upon this came his disciples, marveled that he talked with the woman, yet he met, no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her left her water pot, and went her way to the city, and saith unto the men, Come see the man, which told thee all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She knew that the word Christ was going to be the salvation of the world, and that this was the Messiah incarnate in the flesh, standing before her. That's why she addressed him as the Christ. And so she came to terms with her maker. She goes out and shares that news with others, and others come, and we see that multiplied again and again. That's the whole concept of it. Did you notice, though, when she talks to these men, they came, various reasons, they came, and many more believed because of 
his own word and said unto the woman, now we believe, I'm in about verse 42, the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that he, this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. It's our job as Christians to point others towards the Savior. It's their job to come to Christ. We can't make their decisions. We can't force them. Holy Spirit, we leave it to the Holy Spirit to convict them. Jesus Christ left it to the Holy Spirit to convict this woman. Once you start thinking of, and then you're entered into the spiritual realm sooner or later. And then, and then, and then. Because you're entered into a place we have no control. And you have to be willing to yield some of that control over to God. That's the hardest part about making a commitment to Jesus Christ is you're going to yield some of your control over, your, over to God. How do I know? I know Christians. I are one. And uh, I'm always struggling with yielding what I want over to God. Let's all stand.